you anoint and speak through me everything that needs to be said and lord this will be powerful effective and fruitful that your holy spirit lord would move upon this tonight move upon all of us that are hearing this and and lord that they would be by the grace of god and the power of your spirit every one of us will really get locked in and focused to be able to give you our best ear Lord, anoint our eyes and ears. Give us eyes and ears of the Spirit. Lord, that your Holy Spirit fill our hearts and minds, that we can be good, fertile soil. Help us to be good soil. That there's not going to be hardened hearts or anything like that. Good soil. And Lord, let your living seed to truth go out and be sown into that good soil and watered by the Holy Spirit and take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. And Lord, let there be a washing of the water of the word. Let there be the light of your truth, dispelling all the darkness and lies and deception of the enemy and bring truth and revelation. And Lord, that this will be powerful, effective, and fruitful. And we stand on the promise that the word of God will not return void, but it will accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. Let the winds of your spirit carry this everywhere it needs to go. And let your mighty angels watch over your word. And we also, that Jesus said, the birds of the air try to steal the seed. So Lord, we submit everything about this word unto you numbers are to obedience as we submit unto god we resist the devil he must flee we bind up anything of the enemy that would try to hinder this word tonight in any way from getting where it's supposed to be and doing what it's supposed to do any demonic force that would try to hinder people in the name of jesus we as a body right now we bind it right now we command you to back off and go right now in jesus name we break your power lord let your mighty angels clear that out and let there be breakthroughs tonight in Jesus' name. All right. So, Lord, we thank you. We agree together. And believe it to be so. So I'm going to be ministering on Pentecost tonight, but we're looking at the Hebrew word Shavuot. And that's just, Shavuot is weak. Anytime you see O-T at the end, it's just plural. So that means weeks. And that's between Passover and Pentecost. But when you're in the Feast of Passover, there's seven days that um, is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then there's, uh, during that time, there's going to be a Sabbath that falls. And that's from Friday night to Saturday night. So if, if Passover falls on Wednesday, it's just going to be a couple days. If it falls on Monday, of course, it'd be longer. Sometimes it'll fall on Friday and um, the Sabbath will be the next day. Well, the day after the Sabbath is always first fruits. When, however that falls but the day after the sabbath and so you start counting the sheaves on a sunday and then you're going to go from that sunday 50 days and on the 50th day is shavuot or we call it pentecost as well pentecost is just comes to the word pent which means 50 but shavuot it's speaking of the fact that there's seven weeks so seven times seven is 49 and that's where they get that from so anyway i'm dealing with some a little bit of a history and a little bit about pentecost because i found that a lot of christians really don't know much more than acts chapter 2 and and there are groups that don't know anything about acts chapter 2 <laughs> so let's deal with this because Pentecost or Shavuot in Hebrew is the birth of the church. It's the church's birthday. And here's the interesting thing that a lot of people that are listening or watching this, that this feast was celebrated for 1,500 years before 
Acts chapter 2. So this was not something new. And, you know, God gave this to the Hebrew culture. And Passover, Jesus died on Passover the day. He was buried during an unleavened bread. And he raised from the dead on first fruits, the day of first fruits. And then we know 50 days later, on the day of Pentecost, on that day, it wasn't the day before, it wasn't the day after, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out. So this is a significant time. And so God told, or Jesus told the disciples on the 40th day of the counting of the Omer, he told them, go wait in, in Jerusalem and tarry to your club of power. So they were there about 10 days. But we all know this. Every year, it was required that the Jewish men would, would go to Jerusalem at Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. So that's why there were so many people there when Peter started preaching from all these different dialects and different languages because they had come from all over to Jerusalem, okay? So here's where it started. In Leviticus 23, verse 15, God told Israel, he was giving them the feast, he already talked about Passover, but he said, you will count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, so it's always going to be a Sunday, from the day when you brought in the sheaf, that's first fruits, there will be seven complete Sabbaths. So that's where you get weeks right there. Seven weeks. You'll count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then you will present the new grain offering to the Lord. So the priest had to come in on Pentecost, Shavuot, and he had to go before the Lord in the temple, and now he had two loaves of bread that actually had leaven in them. And he would wave them before the Lord. And there was a heave offering and a wave offering. And the heave offering would be like you would go from down to up like this before the Lord. And then the wave offering went from side to side. What does that form? It forms a cross. But it's interesting because the bread had leaven. And I believe that there were two loaves spoke of Jew and Gentile. And I believe the leaven always speaks of sin and it spoke of us being brought together in the cross as one new man together in Christ. And that's what that was prophetically speaking of. In Acts chapter 20, verse 16, we know that the Apostle Paul, he brought in the Hebrew culture so much to these churches that he planted. And he still tried to get back to Jerusalem every chance he could at Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. And so Paul, it says here in 20, verse 16, Paul had decided to sail to Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia or sail past Ephesus, for he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem if possible on the day of Pentecost. Now I want to give you a little bit of background here about this powerful time because we're coming into this conference and we're going to have speakers in and the two things, excuse me, the two things that we're really looking for at Pentecost is what? As we bring these speakers in, that they're going to be bringing the word of the Lord. And God's going to be speaking to them. They're really going to bring the message of God. They're going to bring the word, a fresh word. But also, they're going to bring the power of the Holy Spirit. And those are the two things that, that Shavuot speaks of. Okay, it speaks of the word given and it speaks of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to show you that as we go. But before we go into these scriptures, 
Let me just give you a few things. Shavuot, this is the birthday of the church, like I mentioned earlier. But there's four names that to this day, the Hebrew culture will call these four different names for Shavuot. One of them is the Feast of Harvest. This became the time that during Passover, when people came to Jerusalem, it was all about the lamb. They would bring the Passover lamb. But it became that first the um, Shavuot Pentecost became the time when everybody brought their first fruits. And the first fruits are from the seven different species that are in Israel, but they would pack it up and they would bring their first fruits. So this time of Pentecost became known in Jerusalem as the Feast of Harvest and the Feast of First Fruits. Isn't it interesting that it's called the Feast of Harvest? When the Holy Spirit was poured out, which we'll read here in a little bit, the very first thing that happened was 3,000 people got saved on the spot. And God began to bring in the harvest. So this became known, number one, as the Feast of Harvest, the First Fruits. Number two, the Feast of Weeks. And you get that from Exodus 24, 22, even the first fruits of the wheat harvest, but the Feast of Weeks. And then the third name is the first fruits. Will you bring it in? So Israel had these seven species. You know, you had the grain and you had the, the wine, you had the oil and all these different species. But there had to be a setting aside of the first and the best that was brought to the sons of Aaron. And it became that at Pentecost, that's when a lot of that was brought in. And so everybody referred to it as first fruits, the feast of first fruits. And finally, the fourth name is Atzeret, which means assembly. And so this is an assembly, a gathering. And so I want to read some scriptures tonight. And we're just going to go through this together. Man, I tell you, I'm just talking about this. I feel the anointing on this tonight. And so I'm going to show you how God has given us his word and given us his spirit. But God gave us his word at this time, Shavuot, when God came down on Sinai. And then God gave us his spirit at the, um, the day of Pentecost that we read about in Acts chapter 2. So let's read Exodus 19 together if you want to follow along. I'm just going to read this and we'll break it down as we go. But it says, in the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. And when they set out from Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness, and there Israel camped in front of the mountain. So they moved toward Mount Sinai. Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, Tell the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen what the Egyptians did, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation." You know, what does that say now on the other side of the cross? Peter's called all of us. He said, all of you are a holy priesthood. And he said this. He said, these are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. Verse 7. So Moses came and he called the elders of the people and set before them all these words which the Lord had commanded him. 
And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses brought back the words to the, of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud, so that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe in you forever. Then Moses told the words of the Lord, or words of the people to the Lord. The Lord also said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments, and let them be ready for the third day. Now that's something I want to stop at for a moment. Y'all give me your best here. Look this way and listen, please. This is important. They were about to have an encounter with God, and God said to consecrate yourself. Now I'm going to tell you something. That is a principle that sadly has been lost in the body of Christ by, by and large. But there's something about if we're believing God to come down and move in our midst, that we do some self-examining. And we begin to make sure that we really repent of things. And we make sure we forgive people. We make sure that we make apologies to people we need to. And this is what he's saying here. Go tell the people, consecrate yourself today and tomorrow and wash your garments. What does the Bible say in the New Testament? It says that we're going to be with uh, God's, Jesus come for a bride without spot or blemish. And Jude even talked about your garments that are not stained or spotted any longer with the world. So there's something about consecrating ourselves. In verse 11 it says, And let them be ready for that third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. But he said this, You shall set boundaries for the people all around the mountain, saying, Beware that you do not go up on the mountain nor touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. Aren't you glad that Hebrews chapter 12 that we have not come to Mount Sinai, but rather we have come to Mount Zion. And there's no longer boundaries, but we're able by the blood of the Lamb to be able to come into the Holy of Holies, into God's glory. Isn't that awesome? But verse 12, he said, make sure that you put those boundaries there. And then he said in verse 13, no hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned and shot through, whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the ram's horn sounds long, they shall come up toward the mountain. So isn't it interesting that there was a blast of a shofar? I'm going to just tell you from experience, there's something about a shofar blast that is awesome, powerful. And I have felt such an anointing, such a glory of God. I remember at Brownsville, that was one of the things, the glory, of, there was such an open heaven, and the glory was so awesome. And I remember hearing that shofar blast that Dick Rubin would do, and it was an awesome thing. Verse 14, so Moses went down from the mountain to the people, and consecrated the people. And they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. So it came about on the third day, when it was morning, that there were thunder and lightning flashes in a thick cloud upon the mountain, and a very loud shofar blast, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. I've said this many times, and I believe it to be true. Moses could have never led people to a national revival like this if he himself had never had a personal revival at the burning bush. We have got to have our own personal revival before we can help others get their revival. 
And so verse 18, now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Can you imagine this sight? Israel standing there looking up and God came down on this mountain and it was like the, that burning bush, but it was like all over the whole mountain, it was like it was on fire. There was smoke and fire, the earth was shaking, there was this loud shofar blast, and the people were terrified. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai, verse 20, to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called to Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord spoke to Moses, he said, go down and warn the people that they do not break through to try to gaze upon the Lord and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves or else the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai for you warned us saying set bounds about the mountain and consecrate it. Then the Lord said to him, go down and come up again, you and Aaron with you, but do not let the priests or the people break through to come up or he will break forth upon them. So Moses went down and told the people. And so Exodus 24, I love this scripture, it's so powerful. Then he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders, and you will worship at a distance. Moses alone, however, can come near to the Lord. But they shall not come near, nor shall the people come up with him. In uh, verse 3 of Exodus 24, then Moses came up and recounted all the words of the Lord to the people and all the ordinances. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. Moses wrote down the words of the Lord. Then he arose early in the morning and built an altar. So here's what's happening here. God is giving Moses his word. And Moses is saying to the people, the Lord says, if you will be his people and if you will obey him and keep his word. And so the people said, we will do all the Lord has said for us to do, which of course we know they weren't faithful. But God gave them his word. This was where the word of God for the very first time, you have to understand, before this encounter, nobody had a written word of God. The closest thing that would have been there would have been in the life of Abraham because he went from place to place and God would speak to Abraham and reveal to Abraham some aspect of him and Abraham would call the Lord by that name. For example, whenever Isaac, he, the Akedah where he was supposed to sacrifice Isaac, but he said the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh. But Abraham went from place to place and he would build like an altar to the Lord and then put that name that he learned about God. He would etch that name in that altar and he would pray there and worship. And people that would come behind him could see this is an altar to the Lord, the God of whatever name Abraham. But, but that's the only word of God that was really in the earth at that time up until Moses was something like that. But now, for the very first time, God was given Moses the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. Even giving him a condensed version of the Ten Commandments on the two, two tablets. And so Moses was receiving this word, and he was giving it to the people. And I also believe that what's happening here is, is this. 
that God the Father came down and his presence was like a hopa, and the people were coming unto him like a wife, like a bride, and God was here, and Moses was officiating, but you're going to see as we go that this was where God the Father married himself to the nation of Israel. And they came into covenant. So let me go ahead and keep reading. In verse, it's chapter 24, verse 4, Moses wrote down the words of the Lord. He arose early in the morning and built an altar. So this is important, what I'm about to read. Moses built an altar at the foot of the mountain with 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men, the sons of Israel, and they offered the burnt offerings and sacrificed the young bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Verse 6, then Moses took half of the blood and put it in big basins, and the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant. Remember, God had been given him this book, been given him the first five books of the Bible, and read it in the hearing of the people, and all the people said, we will do what it says. We will be obedient. So Moses, look at this. Moses took the blood and he sprinkled it on the people. He probably used hyssop, it doesn't say, which is like weeds and made a paintbrush. And he sprinkled it on the people like this. And he said, behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So Moses went up the mountain with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel. So what changed here? Before that, Moses was really the only one that could go after they were sprinkled with blood. Are you hearing me? Once this blood drops were on their garments, they had consecrated themselves for three days. I believe there's something about that. That's why we have, I'll get to it later, but that's why we have a time a couple times a year we really deeply consecrate our lives but anyway it's a deep consecration then what the blood was sprinkled on them they had these little blood drops on them and now not only Moses and Aaron Nadab and Abihu but the 70 elders of Israel they went up the mountain and look at this in verse 10 the Bible says this they saw the God of Israel and under his feet appeared to be like pavement of sapphire as clear as the sky itself yet the Lord did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel they saw God and they ate and drank see what you have to understand in this culture is that once you came into a blood covenant remember I taught on blood covenant so let me go through that just real quick so if two people were going to come into a blood covenant, let's say that they were neighbors, they understood in this culture how serious that was because once you came into a true blood covenant, their enemies became your enemies. You were obligating yourself that if, if they were ever in need, you would take care of them. If they had, if, if some uh, you know, band of of wicked men had come in and had attacked their family was trying to plunder them you were obligated to gather your family and go fight and defend them and protect them do whatever you had to do and so what they would do is once they agreed to come into a blood covenant they would take an animal and they would cut it into two pieces and separate the pieces like this so there was blood all over the middle ground and they would lift their hands and they would they would come into some kind of an agreement some kind of a verbal agreement taking an oath and swearing to one another that they came into this covenant and then they would walk in a figure eight through those pieces and they would walk through that blood 
And it was understood that may it be done to me like this animal if I'm not faithful to the covenant. That's what the, it was understood. But after they did this, many times they would also take a sharp object and cut their hand and take like some ash or something and rub it in there so that it would leave a scar. And the reason for that was when people would, in the Middle East, even in this day, but when they would lift their hands and they would greet somebody, you could see if they had a scar and they would know when, they, when you saw that scar, you knew that they were not alone. They were basically saying, how you doing? I got a lot of people's got my back, by the way. That's basically what they were saying. And the way that they sealed this covenant meal was that they would go and they would eat a meal together. They sealed the covenant by eating a meal together. That's what was happening here. You have to understand that this culture would have understood this. God had Moses take animals, kill them. The blood was shed. There was a verbal agreement that was coming between God and the people. The blood was sprinkled on them. And now the leadership was going up and eating the covenant meal in God's presence. Are you seeing this? That's what we have now on the other side of the cross. Jesus is the sacrifice, his blood. And Jesus even has the mark in his hands. Okay, But Jesus was the sacrifice and he's given us communion, which we took earlier. That's our covenant meal. Verse 12, then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and remain there and I will give you the stone tablets with the law and the commandments which I have written for their instruction. So Moses arose with Joshua his servant and Moses went up the mountain of God. But the elders, he said, wait here until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and her are with you. Whoever has a legal matter, let him approach them. Then Moses went up the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. So in my opinion, you have here the same pattern as the tabernacle. The people that were at the foot of the mountain were like in the outer court. These elders and others were like in the holy place. But Moses alone was able to work his way up to the very top to the Holy of Holies. Where the high priest could only go into the Holy of Holies once a year, that type of thing. And Moses went up the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain and the glory of the Lord rested on Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day he called to Moses in the midst of the cloud and to the eyes of the sons of Israel the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountain. How many would have liked to have seen that? Moses entered the midst of the cloud as he went up the mountain and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Moses was up there for 40 days and 40 nights and did not eat or drink, by the way. He was in the manifest, thick presence of God Almighty. So I want you to see that on, this is what we're talking about with the day of Pentecost. This was like the first day of Pentecost, if you will. Shavuot, this is like the first one. And for 1,500 years, every year, this was remembered how God the Father married himself to Israel and how the word of God was given. And this is what celebrated. So God gave his word. Now let's go to Acts chapter 2. 
1,500 years later, on the same day, the day of Pentecost, Shavuot, it says, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Holy Spirit was giving them utterance. So you have to understand that on the day of Pentecost, Shavuot, all of these that were present knew this story that I just read to you. So they were used to thinking in their mind, God came down on a mountain with a huge blazing fire of his presence. And now they're looking at each other and there's a blazing fire on the top of each of them. Verse 5, now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. Why were they there? Remember, they had to travel to Jerusalem three times a year. They had come from all over. And when this, crowd, when this uh, sound occurred, now how many knows at Mount Sinai there was a sound that occurred, right? When this sound occurred, this wind, and they're all praying in tongues, they're being loud, a crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them were hearing them speak in their own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these men that are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of them are speaking in our different languages? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, etc. And then he says, um, We hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement, great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and saying they're full of wine. There's always going to be the mockers, the revival mockers, the revival critics. I mean, on day one, when God sent revival, okay, this is like our one. There was already a critic out there somewhere. In verse 14, Peter taking his stand with the eleven, Raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judah and all who, all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. It's like nine in the morning. But this was spoken through the prophet Joel. It will be in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men see dream or visions. Or your young men have visions, your old men dream dreams. Even on my bond servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoke. Remember the Sinai, fire and smoke? And I will grant wonders. And he said in verse 20, The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it will be that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then verse 22, the anointing was so strong. Men of Israel, he said, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan, the foreknowledge of God, you nailed him to a cross by hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it is impossible for him to be held by its power. For David said about him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand 
that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh will also live in hope because you will not abandon my soul to hell nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. For you made known to me the ways of life and it made full gladness with your presence. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding David that he both died and was buried in his tomb is here to this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew God, had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on the throne. He looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ and um, that he was neither abandoned to hell nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses, therefore having been exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured forth for us which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but the Lord said, uh, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him Lord in Christ, this Jesus who you crucify. He said that Jesus ascended to the right hand and sent the Holy Spirit, that which you see and hear right now. And the power of God was so strong in verse 37, it said, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent. Let's stop there for a moment. Because we're living in a time when people are telling people not to repent, just so y'all know. I mean, this was sermon number one on the church's birthday. Y'all hear me? This is sermon number one. And in this sermon, he says, repent. Repent each of you and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, for you and your children. Y'all follow me tonight? All who are far off as far as the Lord your God will call to himself. And with many other words he testified and kept on exhorting him saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received the word were baptized and there, there that day, there was added about 3,000. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe at the many wonders and signs that were taking place through the apostles. But let me go ahead and just stop there. So we see at Mount Sinai, on the day of Pentecost, Shavuot, that God gave his word. And now, 1,500 years later, God gave his spirit. And that's what we're believing for this coming week that God is going to pour out his spirit and he's going to bring a fresh word from the Lord. And I think I'm going to look up Hebrews 12 real quick. I wasn't going to read this. It's not in my notes. But I think that it would be good to read. But while I'm doing that, you guys know that every year, a couple times a year, we have a time where we really consecrate our lives into God. And right before... Pentecost, I'm sorry, right before Passover, right before the fall feast. We have a time where we really humble ourselves. And looking back at these notes, let me say this too. I know that our Gregorian calendar, the year starts in January. But biblically speaking, the beginning of the year is in the spring. It's about two, it's two weeks before Passover every year is actually the turn of the biblical year. And I know that Israel has a, like a secular new year in the seventh month. But this springtime, there's something about it. 
Anyway, we spend some time as a church really humbling ourselves, praying and fasting, giving financially, consecrating our lives. And then we come together at Passover and we really celebrate the, the body and blood of the Lord. We go through a time where we really take communion together and we're reverencing the blood of the Lamb. And then 50 days later, we always have this conference where we come together believing for the power of God. There's something about that. There's something about us preparing ourselves. Just like Moses was saying, consecrate yourself that the Lord will come down and be in your midst. He'll meet with you. I believe there's something powerful about that. But I want to close out with just a couple more things here tonight. <laughs> since we read this, I, I wanted to just read this scripture to you since we've gone through Sinai and then Acts chapter 2. In Hebrews chapter 12, starting with verse 18, it says, For you have not come to a mountain, talking about Sinai, that cannot be touched, and to blazing fire, and to darkness, and gloom, and a whirlwind, and to the blast of the shofar, and the sounds of words, which the sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them, for they could not bear the command. If even a beast touched the mountain, it was to be stoned. So terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. But rather, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly, the church of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood. You guys remember we just read how Moses sprinkled. Did you know that you have been sprinkled with the blood of the Lamb of God, which speaks a better word than the blood of Abel? See to it then that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape who refused him and was warned on earth, how much, uh, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns us from heaven? If his voice shook the earth then, but now he's promising, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but I'll shake heaven. This expression yet once more denotes the removing of things which cannot be shaken as created things. So that those things which cannot be shaken remain. In other words, eternal things. God's going to shake everything that can be shaken. Therefore, since we have received a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer an acceptable service with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. So here's something as well. I believe we're in a time where we need the fear of God in our churches. But I'm very concerned that because of a lack of preaching against sin and it being more of trying to make things a social club, not wanting to offend anybody, and then focusing just on grace, 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 grace every week, that it's losing some of the fear of God in the midst of the people. And people are living in sin through the week and they come into God's house and they have no problem with it at all. Where's the fear? Where's the conviction of the Holy Spirit? And I love this. He says, since we've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we offer God acceptable service. What? With reverence and awe. That's the fear of God. For our God is a consuming fire. I just felt the Lord tell me to give you guys kind of some background tonight on this feast time. I personally believe, this is my opinion, I'm going to close with this. 
I personally believe that there's something very significant about the Hebrew roots. I believe that there's something very powerful there. Um, I'll give you some examples of what I mean. The word moed in Hebrew, when God made, in Genesis, God made the sun, moon, the stars, but he said he made them for, for signs and for seasons. The sign is the word ot in Hebrew, O-W-T-H, but the word for seasons is the word moed, M-O-E-D, and it's, it's interesting because that's the same word that's used for the feast days. But the best translation for a moed is a divine appointment. In other words, where God is going to meet in a special way with people. I believe personally that there is something to it, both by the word of God, and I, I could take time to go through more of that, but also by experience here in the church, that these times seem to be a special time. As long as people will take it serious and, and you know, go after God. But it's a special time where God meets with us in a special way. And I also believe there's something about God's calendar. We live in a Gregorian calendar. But we also need to keep in mind that that's not God's calendar. God's calendar is the Hebrew calendar. And so we need to keep up with that calendar because it is prophetic. And what God's doing on that calendar. I remember back years ago when there was these blood moons on the feast days. And what was it, 2014, 15? That was significant. Yet you had people in the world that, had, that were clueless. Then you have the religious community in the church world that just don't have eyes to see. But it was significant. Those that have eyes to see and ears to hear know that there's something about these, the timing, this Hebrew calendar. And remember Jesus said to look to the fig tree regarding end time prophecy what's the fig tree israel if you want to understand end time prophecy you got to keep your eye on the fig tree because israel's the centerpiece of that what's going on okay but anyway we've spent some time as a church even as i'm up here talking about it i just really feel the anointing tonight but we've spent some time humbling ourselves in prayer and fasting and we spent some time at passover really coming under the blood and I'm just telling you guys to be ready because this next week, God's going to come down in this place. Whew. He's going to come down. You mark my words. It's a Moedim. And I'll tell you what, the, the men that we have coming, Brother John Davis, what an anointing. And Brother Sergio Scataglini, Benny Baker, they're going to bring the fire of God with them. I believe that. So let's believe, just like at Sinai, and just like at Pentecost, let's believe for a fresh word. Let's believe for God to come down in this place in the fire of Pentecost. If there's any time that we needed another Pentecost, we need it today. So if you could, if you could please get my wife so she can take care of things. But Lord, we thank you tonight. We thank you for the awesome power of your spirit. Lord, we thank you for Pentecost. We thank you, Lord, for the awesome power of your word. And we're believing you on this coming week of you know Shavuot Pentecost we're believing you to meet with your people in a special way we're believing you Lord for an awesome outpouring of the Holy Spirit and Lord we ask you as we come hungry with expectation Lord that this week will be such a powerful time Lord we ask you to give those that are coming the speakers Lord give them a fresh anointing Lord give them a fresh word from God let them come in the fire of the Holy Ghost and let there be an awesome outpouring of your spirit like no other time. We need another Pentecost. In Jesus' mighty name, let it come.
As we shut down recordings, I want to pray with you guys tonight, and I'm going to believe God to move mightily and just give you guys a fresh touch, a fresh anointing. As a matter of fact, I, I just had some...